DevCom Podcast presents the Fireside Cast with your host, Lars Janssen. Welcome to this episode of our DevCom Podcast series, bringing you the DevCom experience year-round. Today, I'm happy to welcome the wonderful Odile Limpach, co-founder at Spielfabrik and professor at Cologne Game Lab, and I'm sure many more things that we're going to talk about in this session. Bonjour, Odile. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Yes, thank you for having me here. I'm very happy also to be here with you. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, so to get started, um, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and, and your path in the industry so far? You've been around for a while. Uh, you've done a lot for this industry. So uh, how about a little introduction? Yes, okay. So I would make it short because I've been so long in the industry. I could take hours to tell everything I've done. <laughs> oh, we, we can it's, do like a five-hour session. It's not, no problem. <laughs> I'm not sure how many people are going to listen to Yes, uh, I've been here in the industry actually for more than 25 years now, so um, it's a long time and I enjoyed every year, I must say. So um, I start where I am now uh, and I am a professor at the Cologne Game Lab. It's the Technical University of Cologne and uh, I teach economics and entrepreneurship for games. So why I do that? Because I have a long term uh, experience in this. Um, I've started in the industry for, as I said, more than 25 years, and I was a project project manager for Ubisoft, actually. It was the, the PlayStation 1 and Rayman I was selling mm -hmm. at that time, so a long time ago. And to fast forward, then I become the managing director of Ubisoft and making distribution, selling games to like MediaMark, Saturn, uh, the big guys in retail, the big retailers, retailers. And then after a while, I decided I wanted to see the other side of the business. So I changed from business. I went to development of games. At that time, Ubisoft was buying the studio Blue Byte and also the franchise Anu. And I had the chance to become the managing director of Blue Byte. At that time, we were like 30 people. And I grew it so together with uh, all the team. We grew the studio from 30 to a little bit more than uh, 300, making a lot of different games, going on the settlers on the web, for example, as a free-to-play free game. We did Assassin's Creed on mobile. We did the real settlers, the real Alno series, and also a couple of like games that didn't work at all, like Silent Hunter free-to-play. Maybe you have never heard of it or also well, unfortunately, unfortunately for you i have heard of it because i was okay. also in the free-to-play space but <laughs> but i think there's no Wait. company out there that never had a failure so you know it's, uh, <laughs> yes it's of course and also a funny fitness game for the wii u that didn't work at all also but we tried a lot of different things and uh, it was a fun time and then after a very long time at ubisoft i decided that i wanted to found my own company because I've been doing this for them for a long time. And I said, well, now maybe it's time for me to try to make my own company. And that's why I went, um, I left and I founded Spielfabrik. I met uh, somebody in Berlin who was specialized in finance. And we, we said that we, we fit together pretty well on the business side. I was more the sales, marketing, development part. And he was very much specialized in, in finance and market analysis. And we started Spielfabrik, which is an accelerator for video game. And we support indie games in French and Germany, but also in Europe for now. And we do co-productions market. So I'm very happy that I did that. It's a little bit more than five years ago now. And at the same time, had the opportunity to become a professor at the Cologne Game Lab. And also I enjoyed this very much because when you have been working for such a long time, 
you have a couple of stories to tell, you have a couple of yeah. experiences you want also to, to give further to your students. And um, yes, I enjoy both sides of it. So I'm very happy with what I have now. How was and the... Maybe on, on, a, on, a, on a, to finish the, the presentation on a personal side, I have three kids, they speak French and German. And so life has been very busy the last two Yeah, I just want to say, it doesn't seem like you have not been busy at, at any point. So. <laughs> but how was the transition? I mean, you've been running uh, Ubisoft Bluebyte um, for, for, you know, quite a couple of years. And, uh, you know, how, how was that that transition from, you know, this big studio and all the games you worked on then to having your own thing and at the same time also being a professor? Uh, were there ever moments where you were like, whew, this is very different? You know, it took you a while or were you like right away... Um, adjusting to the new situation? Oh, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> I, think, I think it's like everybody who is creating its own company, you have to be a bit crazy at some point. <laughs> so uh, at some point you just say, okay, I do it. And then and I, this is what I want. And then uh, and then you have good times and bad times. So it was not every, everything easy to, to start with your own company. And I did it also because I wanted to be closer to the projects again. When you run a big company with a lot of people, you're far away from the projects. It's a lot about reporting, writing Excel sheets and, and, and speaking about long-term strategy. Very interesting, but also very much, um, it's lots of management. And uh, right. I realized that I wanted to have also my own projects and make projects I, I really believed in and have um, nobody decide ex expect, except me about this project. So that's why um, it was not easy to adapt. And uh, being a professor, when you haven't done it before, it's a lot of work to prepare. <laughs> it's just like, but luckily, maybe sometimes a little bit crazy. And just, I just said, okay, I, I try it. I did it. And if it doesn't work out, you know, then, then it doesn't work out. But uh, now I'm very happy everything worked out. Yeah, it's, it seems like you're happy with a with a new role, which is just great. So let's dive into um, the topic a little bit. I mean, let's start with uh, Spielfabrik and and what you do there. You've also um, wrote a book um, on the publishing challenge for independent video game developers. Uh, so obviously, there's uh, a lot of potential topics we could talk about uh, in terms of what is relevant uh, for indies. Uh, what's what does publishing for indies actually mean? Um, so maybe you can lead us a little bit through uh, your thoughts on on the landscape uh, in that area. Uh, so, so what's important? How do you begin as an indie if you, uh, you want to bring out a game, if you want to publish your title? Um, where do you start? Oh, yes, this, is, this could be really the, the five hours podcast, <laughs> how to publish your game. But uh, what I would say as a, a very brief summary, uh, I think one of the most important thing to do is to be curious about your market and your gamers. And uh, that's what it is. Actually, that is what publishing is. And I, I think it's the it's the start of everything. Once you start to think, who is going to play my game? Who is this person? What is this person person doing? Who are my competitors? Where am I going to be able to release my? Or why do I want to release my game? Which country? With which is it? Asia? Is it Europe? Is it the US? Is it everywhere? Uh, then when you start to do that and to ask yourself questions and to look for information, then you're already in the process of thinking about publishing, actually. And this is something that I think developers should do very, very beginning. Um, look at your market, you can have to players. And then I think republishing is no rocket science. It's very logical, you know, like marketing itself. It's nothing like it's not programming. You don't need to learn it by the book. You just need to experience it and to think. 
and this is one side i think this is very important the other side also is when you start to think uh, for developers to think about what is going to happen with your game it's also a lot about what do you want um, are you the person that only wants to develop games and you don't care about sales and you don't want to care about it and it's just um, you don't want to specialize in this or are you curious about what it is publishing do you like to communicate do you like to go to fairs and meet your gamers your customers or not and once you find this out for you then you can know what is going to be your strategy for you and your company of course then you can find out what is your strategy actually so is uh, that something you help young developers with um, uh, at, at Spielfabrik? Is, is, are you starting that early or do you expect developers to you know, come to you and then uh, when they're already a little more prepared and have thought of those things already? Well, it, it depends. Everybody, every team is different. So you can't tell, I expect you to have done all of this already. But when you cho when we choose developers to work, work with, then we want people that are open and uh, that are um, eager to learn and to look outside. So I think this is because a, a company is always good when the people are good. And for me, uh, good creators and, and, and developers of game, they are curious and they want to, to understand their market. So this is, um, and we work very much as, as we say, we are coach or mentors or the, whatever you want to call it. So our job is just to put a mirror in front of you. And then you mm. tell me, the developers tell us what, where they want to go, what they want, and then we ask questions and we we don't tell them what they have to do because it's not our job, it's their company, but we help them to find the right way. And of course, we give them informations and we give them also um, contact and we, we introduce them in our network because we have been working for such a long time. We know a lot of people that have been very different experiences and they can help also to uh, like put a light on their project and and help them to make this strategical decision this financial decision marketing decision and so on how important would you say is a network for indie developers that want to get into this industry uh, is that is it still possible to just create this beautiful game and then all of a sudden you know it becomes a global success or you know how those uh, how's your take on this um, do you can you only succeed if you have like a strong network if you have a lot of money in the background if you have a strong publisher it also leads a little bit into is it possible for relatively inexperienced indie studios to be self-publishing their title or is there a need for somebody to partner up with no there are no recipe you it, you can do you can do every every way you want so um i i think you can still and i have seen this kind of examples honestly the last years uh, of people um having a, a side job developing a game and publishing it and tweaking it until it's really good uh, on the free-to-play model, for example, and it's and they make a lot of money and they could quit a job and, and become a full-time game developer. And nobody had heard of them before because they were just doing what they liked and they managed to have a very good game. This is one example out of many that do not make it this way. So, uh, but that's why I can't tell you, you have to have a network and you have to go to all the conferences because it's not true. It might, you might also just develop the game of your life and it, it's successful. And the good thing about the publishing right now is that you can publish it yourself. If you can communicate, and as I said, it's no rocket science, it's just about listening and answering the people and thinking about what you want to communicate, then you can do it by yourself. 
of course, if you, it's also good to have a network and to know people and to find a publisher that might help you. So it's really where that's why I wrote this book about actually all the questions you have to ask yourself. So I'm kind of afraid when people read it, there are more questions in the end that are, yeah. than answers. But this is this is it. Actually, nobody can give you the answer. You have to answer by yourself. So that's why I, we I made this whole list of questions and of please think about this, 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 and that before looking for a publisher, because this is the other things that we see a lot is that uh, young teams go too early looking for a publisher and they don't know what they want exactly actually from this publisher. And then most of the time, it's like, uh, I always say, uh, finding a publisher is like finding somebody for your life is getting married. Um, if it's too early and you don't know each other very well, great chance that it doesn't go well. Yeah, if it's if it's too late though, then uh, you know it might also not work out. But um, so you mentioned a couple a couple of questions that you um, suggest that developers ask them, uh, themselves, and you already touched um, on uh, you know the, the the markets that you want to enter with a new game. So can you give us some examples of like some key questions um, you know just randomly pick, picked that you feel are very important questions on top of that that developers should ask themselves throughout that process. Oh, yes. Um, there are very easy questions like, uh, are you ready to work with a partner, really, and to share some responsibilities? Uh, are you ready to listen to feedback? I've been working a, lo a lot with game developers and with game designers and people that really have a very strong idea about the game. And not everybody is ready to hear feedback from a publisher telling yeah. them that they think this is good and this is maybe not optimal and maybe we should think about this and so this is like one of the first question a publisher if he wants to make if a publisher does his job correctly he will give you feedback so are you ready to hear it or not um very practical question um, do you know a lawyer that is going to help you on your contract do you have somebody there and um, do you have a budget that is really made so that it's realistic and you know what kind of finance needs you will have until the end of the project? Not being over-realistic, but not being over-pessimistic also, but having a clear idea of your project. Um, do you know what? I, I think one of the most important questions also is already having to start uh, thinking about marketing and communication. What makes your game so special? Right. That's one of the one of the key questions that I I mean I, I, in my day to day job I, I work for a publisher so obviously those are questions I'm very familiar with and uh, and I can really relate to what you're saying you know that sometimes developers uh, come in and they they might have a great game in the making but they're not ready in terms of you know accepting this feedback not only hearing it but well not only listening to it but really hearing it and 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 making changes to the game that are reasonable that that make it a better game in the end um, so that's it's definitely something and and the practical issues like contracts and and so on so. Even for a publisher, it's always good to have somebody on the other side who understands those contracts because it's, it speeds things up and you don't have to, you know, uh, go back and forth with people that are very inexperienced in that space. So de definitely very, uh, I think, very good um, points there. And I, and I think uh, there's probably many more in your book that um, people can, can check out if they want to um, know more about what they should think about. Um, let me ask you about the the landscape of publishers for independent developers right now. I mean, this year, 2020, is a very uh, special year, I would say, uh, with the pandemic um, on a global scale. And um, I was wondering what your thoughts are on 
publishers and their willingness to to be active in that space to sign new deals to support new studios they haven't worked with before um and also the the amount of publishers uh, that are out there right now uh, especially in europe for independent developers has that changed or is that um, pretty much the same like before what are your thoughts on this well i i've seen a lot of new publishers coming the last two years we see a lot of people also uh, studios actually that have a good game and then they start to publish also other games uh, because they want to extend that portfolio a little bit faster so i would say there are a lot of publishers and more and more coming and um, i think it's but on the other side so you, you have a lot of publishers to choose from and i still did I, I tried with students of the current game map to make a list in this book of all publisher publishers existing and i'm sure it's not it's it's not finished um, because the day we said okay we have to now print the book i heard about a new one yeah, and it's probably one, outdated and, already <laughs> yes it's like it's, the publishing uh, business is uh, the book publishing business is not really fast i would say so, <laughs> so it was it's impossible to have a absolute accurate list and we we realize we always found new ones and new publishers are coming so i think you have a lot of them i don't think they're very ready to sign with very new teams um i think it's an exception when a team with no track record at all managed to sign a, a game you, you have this every year because you have very talented people that just start their company as young people and they have such a good prototype that they manage to find a, a publishing deal. But it's not the easiest way. And um, I think it's so important for teams to have your track record and to try it by yourself. Each time I speak with a team that has published a game by, by itself or with a publisher for the first time, they always tell me, wow, I never realized how difficult and how complex this would be and just have i mean I, we can prepare them the way we want you just have to make it publish it go the whole way through it and then realize how much it takes to publish and i think this is the best experience you can do on yourself on yourself or with a publisher and then you will find much easier a partner after because you know exactly what you're speaking about because you know exactly what your partner also is going to need from you screenshots gifts videos whatever communication right. materials and this you cannot really learn by the book you have to do it once yeah and I, I think the the only challenge that you're facing or the main challenge is obviously if it's your first project you, you need some funding you know and some some uh, you know younger teams they're fully dedicated they're giving all they, they live on i don't know ramen noodles or something for like two years or three years to make that game but then uh in the end uh, you know they they hopefully succeed with that and i guess if, if people come from more established studios and found their own company sometimes there's the issue of uh, you know having had a pretty good life you know a family and all you know, your, your certain standards of living and then if you have you have your own studio then it's much harder to uh, uh to do it without additional funding because of your expectations uh, that you have so i guess that can sometimes be a challenge for for young teams in particular. Yes, definitely. Um, but if you are if you have people with experience, most of the time that they come from the industry, then they know what it takes to make yeah. a publisher. And that's why also I think that publishers. I mean, you're you're the one sitting on this desk, on this side of the of the desk. So yeah. I guess you can answer better than me. But this is also what you're looking for: people that know a bit what they're speaking. That yeah, when they give you a project plan, you can rely on it. How important do you think uh, are prototypes? 
playable versions of the game and so on. I mean, I, I know how we treat it usually, but what's your expectation uh, or what's your impression from publishers that, that uh, you sometimes refer people to? Are they signing deals without having any anything playable or is that pretty much a must-have these days? No, I think it's a must-have. Yeah. And um, I, I, I can't really, well, maybe if you have like the creative director of uh, FIFA coming out and making his own studio, uh, maybe you would sign a deal with only a, uh, a concept, but then you have to have very, very experienced people. So some of these people have already 15 years experience in a big game company. And when they create a studio, they might get a deal on a concept. Most of the developers I've met and I've seen they have had to have playable, a very good polished playable prototype to get a contract with a publisher. Yeah, so I don't have to feel too bad that we're asking for the same thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've rarely seen a concept that is uh, in itself convincing enough. And I guess it, I mean, like you said, it, it would have to be a team with a tremendous track record. So can say, okay, they've delivered 10 times in a row. So it's very likely they, they get to get this right as well. But uh, other than that, uh, all you developers out there, it's always good if you have something playable. <laughs> it doesn't need to be polished though, but it's something to give you, uh, you know, a feel for what the game is, I think. So let's um, move to the other part of your work. Yeah, you, you work as a professor at Cologne Game Lab. Um, when we talked a while ago, you mentioned um, that there's a uh, conference um, on entrepreneurship in games uh, as well that, um, that you're involved with called Clash of Realities. Um, uh, so maybe you can talk about, uh, about this. I think it happens in November, uh, as far as I recall. Um, and um, you know, kind of weave in a little bit um, entrepreneurship in games. What does that mean and why is it a topic that you care so much about? Yes. So I, uh, the Clash of Realities is a conference that the Cologne Game Lab has been organizing for 10 years already. And it's about culture of games. So it's uh, a lot about also um, media studies and game design, art and so on. And actually, I, this is the first year that I, am, I do a summit on entrepreneurship. So mm -hmm. I... It's, it's no more only about the production of game, but it's also on, on, on the, somehow on, on sales, on the, how to, how is the market and how is uh, doing, uh, is it to create a, a game studio? And um, I think it's so, um, it's important to speak about it because you have a lot of uh, startup studies, you have a lot of entrepreneurship education in all possible domains. In games, it's very young and it's not very well um there are no, not much people that really um, take care of this subject in europe i say in the us it's more uh, but in europe it's not much and um, i'm just very curious about uh, finding more about what is it to be an entrepreneur in the game industry and how different or how similar it is to other industries um, I speak with a lot of people that support startups, digital startups, technical startups, and um, we are kind of uh, in the middle of industries. We are digital, very technical sector, actually, but we have also a very high creative input. And um, we haven't found the right way or the perfect way yet to support startups in the game industry. And um, I'm, I, 
I, when I'm honest, I started to, to speak about this summit and to organize it and to, to ask speakers to come with because I want to have a discussion about it. <laughs> so I have no answer. I have questions and I want to I want to speak with people that have very much experience in innovation, in creation, in, in, uh, in startup and, and, and speak with them about what makes it different. Uh, what makes a game entrepreneur different from another entrepreneur? What make, what is similar? What can we take and, and use also for this uh, that already exists and that works well? Um, what it is, what do they need? Because um, we see also that, and that's what I, I like in the games market, you always have a very good um, number of people that want to create a company. When I see at the Cologne Game Lab with our students, I would say approximately one third of every year wants to create a company. Even young people, they they burn for games and they want to do the games they think are the best one and they really want to create their own company. And uh, I think this is very unusual and very nice for an industry to have so many people eager to go this very, very difficult way of creating your own company. And um, I want to find out how to better support them. And for this, I have the chance to have a university, technical university behind me, and you are able to organize such a summit and invite very bright people to speak about it and to see um, how it's going to be. So it's on uh, November 18 and uh, 19. It's going to be online this year, of course. For, uh, so we have a short format, only two days. And we have a couple of keynotes and summits and the entrepreneurship summit is one of it. And we hope to make a real one in Cologne in spring 21. I guess like everybody else here, <laughs> you're hoping as well that we can have, uh, you know, real, I don't want to say real events, but, you know, uh, like in-person <laughs> events next next year again. Well, it's definitely something that is, uh, I think, really exciting to learn more about what it takes to be an entrepreneur in gaming and, and how it's different. And even though you mentioned that you are the one asking questions, you seem to have at least like a, a, a hypothesis on, on how this uh, could be like, uh, um, you know, in, in our game space. I mean, you mentioned that, uh, you know, the, the younger people that you support uh, are very eager to, to found their own company so it seems like there are more uh, maybe compared to other industries that really want to want to do their own thing um, would you say that this is because a lot of people want the creative freedom to um, you know to do their own thing um, is it that they don't want to be you know under the wings of a, of a big publisher or something um, because they feel they, they they can't really fulfill their creative dream or what are your you know, thoughts on why so many, um, from your point of view, do this? Yes, I think you found a very good reason. And the creative freedom is very important. And when I was working at Ubisoft, I saw a lot of people also that quit Ubisoft because they wanted to have their creative freedom. And they realized in a big company, there are some borders at some point that you touch. And you have to decide if you want to stay in these borders or if you want to make your own games and have your freedom. Uh, but then they realize at some point that uh, if they have a publisher, the borders come back. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's always, uh, you know, life is always green on the other side. So Absolutely. The loan is always green on the other side. So, um, and then also, uh, I think one of the, the motivation I see and I really like in our students also is that they want to make the, the world better. And uh, we have creators and create the way they, they express themselves if, with games. 
And um, so I think it's even more that this creative freedom is uh, contributing to the world with games that they figure the right ones and they want to go this path and not be one number in a big company and developing a franchise that right. everybody knows already or whatever. So, um, and I think it is also very much what um, entrepreneurs in general startup, it's a lot about making things different and making things a lot. Luckily is making things better. And this is a big driver, I guess, in the young people to start their own company and not look for a job somewhere else. So you've been in the industry for quite a long time. You mentioned 25 years in the beginning. Did you observe a change of the typical genre that young teams want to create uh, in a game? I mean, you said a lot of the people that you work with right now, they want to make a change. They want to create games that are meaningful, uh, kind of, you know, convey a certain purpose to the people playing them. Um, is that something you've always seen or is that more like a recent development over the last couple of years? And, and would you say that, you know, some of the big franchises that we have right now over time are going to go away if they don't, you know, support this, this idea of being meaningful um, for the world? Oh, I think we are very, um, so the last question, I think the big franchise will stay because we are a very big market. It's like the Hollywood movie. You have very good, yeah. you have the James Bond is still living and uh, I guess it will stay for a long time. And we have a lot of independent films that are very meaningful at the same time. So it's because we have so many different um, people watching movie and it's the same for games. So you you will still have franchise and they don't need, I don't think they need to be meaningful. They just need to have a very good quality of, of having fun for the people yeah. and they will, they will play the games. But the, the trend, um, so I, I would say that two, two, two trends, I would say the one is definitely making meaningful games and wanting to somehow with this kind of art contribute to the society and to the, the, the changes and the thinking. And this is something I've, I've been seeing the last year very strongly and, and I like it very much. And on the other side, I would say the games I see coming in our incubator, it's a lot of, about trends also. So I've seen a little bit more of co-op coach, coach games later because it's a draw that didn't exist, I would say, for 10 years. Now it exists. And because they like to play them, then maybe their first game is going to be in this direction. So they kind of follow the trend also of what is new and what is played. Yeah. And they have new ideas to maybe improve the gameplay on the one side a bit. Oh. I hope there's more couch co-op games coming up because I was, you know, during this pandemic, uh, you know, my wife and I we were looking for some things we can play together. And actually, when you when you Google and 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 try to find some, there's not too many. I mean, there are quite a few popular ones, but um, it, it's pretty hard to find some recent ones uh, that have been made. And um, so I, I can I can't wait for having more in that <laughs> in that direction. Even though I hope we can all go outside and you know meet in person more than we could in in 2020. So there's one um, topic I want to touch on regarding. Uh, we talked about um, uh, you know the, the about the work in at the Cologne Game Lab, and that's the the topic of innovation. Um, obviously, you know that's a, that's what you support as well. There, um, a lot of those teams 
I think at least um, are coming up with very innovative ideas compared to sometimes, you know, bigger companies, big publishers that are very reluctant to try out new things. So how important is that that environment that you provide for innovation? And how would you compare it to, to bigger companies like Ubisoft, like you did before? Like, um, what, what's your take on, on what you can do be, be you, if you're big or if you're small, if you want to innovate and bring something new uh, to the industry? Well, I think for big companies, it's almost impossible to be really innovative. Um, I think they they look they all look for ways. They do some aside companies. They take people out, put them somewhere else to try to recreate uh, somehow an innovative place. Um, big companies always have uh, some system you have to go through, some procedures, and all this can kill a lot of innovation. So I think for a big company, it's much more difficult to be innovative than if you're in a small structure. And um, well, at the Colon Gabla, this is really the core, uh, the core how we work. We uh, Each semester, the teams have to develop a prototype. So they have one subject. So we give them borders because for innovation, it's also important to have some kind of, of borders. What do, should you do? And, and then they have a couple of weeks every semester where they have, and it's a graded prototype. So it's, it's part of their studies. They, are, they get notes of, on developing games. And uh, this is where I'm, each time I'm so amazed about what kind of innovation we see and how fast they can iterate, they can try out, they can prototype and they can come with new ideas. And this is the good thing about the an incubator and the Cologne Game Lab. We are, we are a non-profit, we are a public university. So it means that also in the incubator, we take projects that are non-commercial. We look for good projects, for projects that might have a chance on the market. Of course, we don't say we don't want them. If you want a team that wants to sell as a good game and wants to learn how to sell and publish, they are more than welcome. But also we can take games in the incubator that are more about maybe we are happy when they want to revolutionize some part of the industry and try very different things or maybe do a game for a nonprofit um, purpose so we are able to incubate them also because we are there for there actually to support them so innovation is of the in the center and what i find always very interesting is that um, the students during the old semester realize that you can tackle innovation that it's not about somebody somewhere alone having a good idea but it's a team process yeah. and it needs a bit of structure and of um, follow-up or project management and then you come to the good to good results and uh, that's nice to see from the first semester to the last how they evaluate with this how they learn to work in teams to take the right persons so that they know with this person i know i will have a good project at the end and most of the time it also it is the case because they learned all these processes of innovating in a kind of structured way yeah, i think you mentioned two very important things here is that um there's 
there's no way you can overstate the power of teams in game development, also diverse teams. Uh, I think it, it ultimately leads to much better games and, and more innovation in there. And that's also something that I wanted to uh, emphasize. Is you said like there's boundaries uh, and boundaries are important to innovate. And I think this is really something that uh, some people sometimes underestimate. They think about innovation and, and creative freedom. And then, you know, they got to think about everything and there's no limits. And uh, all of a sudden you uh, create this, this monster of a, of a game that has everything and nothing at the same time. So I really uh, can only support the, the fact that I think boundaries are very, very important. If you have a challenge and you want to you want to overcome that obstacle, um, then that's usually what triggers innovation from from my point of view, at least. Yes, very right. Yes. Yeah. So, so, but still, like the big companies, you, you, I, I want to tackle that a little bit because I'm I work for a big company. You worked for one in the, in the past, and there's also a lot listening <laughs> to this podcast uh, potentially. So, is there really no way to? be innovative in a bigger structure. Um, you mentioned that some companies, they, they have led their spin-offs. How did you tackle this at Ubisoft when you were in charge there? So when you wanted to innovate, did you just say, well, okay, there's only a limit to what, what we can innovate on and we, we do our sequels and we, we try a few things here and there, but you know we, we stick to what we know well? Or did you try to innovate? And if so, I mean, actively innovate in, in completely new ways. And if so, how did you approach this? Uh, well, I, I can't tell you how I did it in the, at the Blue Byte Studio because uh, on the, in the, I've, I, it, it was one of the way we were allowed to do it at Ubisoft is that uh, at some point when you can afford to take the right people, to put them together and to give, it, give them time, so it means it costs money, uh, and give, give, give them a, a purpose, so something they should work on, and then see what's coming out. So this, is, this was one of, of the, the way we did it. Um, it's really trusting that the good people, the people we we know, are innovative, and we know uh, they they know their job. Then, if you put them together, if you make a small team, and we leave them work on something, then something good is going to come out. Uh, it's risky and it costs money because when they do that, they don't work on a big on one of the big franchise. So it's only you can do it only limited. And um, the other things what I think all big companies do and what we were trying to do also is to listen to ideas of others, of individuals, because actually I, I think that a lot of companies underestimate the power of the people they have there. Um, and it's very difficult to balance between, you know, this game has to be ready for Christmas. So just spend your time on this. And um, yeah. if in between two persons have a very good idea and uh, give them the opportunity, give them the time to develop this idea and to make it so that they can present it to somebody else and then can convince you, then it's also a question of money and time. So um, that's that's the way I know big companies are coping, trying to trust the people, giving them time aside uh, to work on different things with a bit of borders, but not too much so that they can really see if they want to realize other ideas, if other ideas are coming. It's a lot also about identifying what could be um, something new out of something old. So maybe a, te or a technology to find out, to, 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 to understand that uh, this could be something that is really new, even if you don't have the game, but you have the technology and to make a game around it. Um, Yes, that's 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 the the, the the methodology I've seen working more or less. Um, and as I said, I I actually when I left Ubisoft and I went to the Colon Game Lab, I was really impressed about the level of innovation we have there, and about the um, uh, how rapid, how fast the teams were 
in developing at, at the university. So um, I think it's really difficult for big companies to innovate. That's what I've heard from a lot that once they took the step out of uh, a bigger organization, then all of a sudden, you know, some of the boundaries, even though I just said before, we both said that it's important, but some of the boundaries went away for a while. And if there's enough financial flexibility to to have the time to actually do it, then that usually leads to to those opportunities. Because in the end, I guess it's always about iteration. You, you need some time, you need to think about it. There's no no uh, great creative product, be it a game or a movie or something else has ever been made like first try. You know, there's always, you know, <laughs> things that you have to, to iterate on and, and, and get right and i guess it's really uh difficult for the big companies um to do that and you can see it right now uh with big um, corporations that they sometimes struggle in in bringing completely new things so that would be my my, my last um kind of side question on the innovation topic uh, is there anything that you would personally wish uh would be more innovative in the games industry uh is there anything that you've always seen over the last 20 years where you said like ah i don't know this we've always done it the same way how about we, we try something new there <laughs> Oh, let me think. Um, honestly, I, that's what I, I love to be in the game industry after so many times, because what I'm doing now had nothing but nothing to do with what I was doing for 10 years and right. for 20 years and for 15 years. So I think there's so many, so much innovation in this industry. That's the good thing about it, actually. And that's we change, we have to adapt. And uh, that's what I, I, I love it so much, because uh, publishing it's so different that it used to be development it's so different that it used to be everything is different actually so no there is nothing when i say oh it's always the same at at some point i changed jobs always when i realized i was always doing the same and i didn't like it anymore yeah. i wanted to learn something new so for the moment i would say no it's a, and even the teaching we just went fully online um very rapidly also and we it works very well and i enjoy my semester this winter semester so much because it's so the same it's so demanding i have to make a lot of different things i have to really think about uh, i am a streamer more or less for my students and um it's 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 a great thing to learn so no, I think I'm, I'm happy with how the, the industry is. Oh, it's great to hear. And I love the industry as well. I mean, it's, it's the reason we're all in here because it's it's constantly changing. You constantly have to adapt. And that's very rare for any industry out there. I think games industry is really at the forefront of, of that happening. So if you're a streamer, are you also on Twitch for your students? Is that... <laughs> Just, no, I'm not on Twitch, but I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm going to be able to be a streamer very soon with all this online oh, see, format know. we are developing so. I, I see your twitch career you know coming up there <laughs> that's the next step so there's there's one um there's one final uh kind of area i wanted to discuss a little bit with you um when we talked about teams and how important teams are to to get things done uh i, I briefly mentioned the word diverse teams and, and diversity in general so obviously you know there's i'm always curious about the state of the industry and how people see it right now there's um just lately been a lot of you know discussions about diversity and inclusion not only in the games industry, but in society in general. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, we always um, have to deal with these situations also in the games industry where, where things pop up that, uh, you know, are, are not the behavior we want to see, uh, you know, from companies or from, from individuals in, in the industry. So um, how important is that uh, topic to you? And um, I would want to know what can we all do to hopefully move forward and uh, and have a, a diverse environment where everybody is uh, can be excited and focus on making great games as the as the normal and we we don't have to worry about this anymore hopefully at some point in, in the future mm -hmm. 
Yes, I think so. You're very right. It is so important to have this diverse environment and to have um, this as actually as granted and not thinking about it. And I think this is exactly the mistake um, I was doing and a lot of people are doing probably is that uh, because I think it's normal and it should be granted. Maybe I didn't open my eyes enough and I didn't uh, question it enough. So um, I think this is one of the it's it's so no brainer that we should have an environment and we should have all this diversity and we should welcome everybody and we should all be um, respectful of everybody that um, I, I feel like the last years and as I said I'm not an exception because from the outside maybe it looked like oh it's getting better and it's always it's actually working fine and because you don't have maybe a case direct in front of you of somebody having problems then you just think like that's all fine actually it's not so i think the thing we should do is really all of us questions ourselves very thoroughly and really going with very much much more um sensibility and as I said, even uh, more open our eyes on what's going on and, and asking very actively, is this okay? Is this what I think is right? Or just did I just forgot to, to, to make sure that everything is, is the way I think it should be? So I think it's really um, everybody, it's not about taking care of people that have problem or taking care of, of course, we have to take care of this, all of this and the companies have to change and to make policies and so on. But I think it's uh, it, policies in, in that companies are not going to solve all the problems. It's yeah. really a question. Um, I think if when you have kids, it's really being uh, the example yourself. And it's not easy to be always perfect. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, you have three. I can't compete. I just have one daughter. She's five. Okay. But uh, but I but I know what you're talking about. Still, there's always moments where you can't be the perfect parent. You know. <laughs> exactly. But still, yeah. we should. I think in in the in being in the industry, it, we should really have this um, be that. Um, very uh, much um how do you say that i would say very uh we have to strive strive for it because yeah. otherwise it's not going to be better because otherwise we will stay at the statu quo we have now and it's always will, will come back to us so it's really much about self-reflection i would say what, would, what we would, all can do I, I absolutely agree and, and i would add that I think it is, it's not for only some people. It's not only for the senior leadership in a company. It's pretty much for everybody uh, in our industry, not only in our industry in general, but if we talk about our industry, I think everybody can contribute to that and can think about, you know, what is my role in that? Have I, um, you know, how do I behave if something like this come up? Do I speak up and do I say this is not okay? Or do I, you know, just stay quiet and, you know, worry about my next paycheck and that's it. So, and, and when I, you know, watch the industry right now and see what's going on, I see that more and more people are actually speaking up and they say, you know, I, we don't want this. We, we want a diverse and inclusive environment uh, that everybody can feel safe in. Uh, safety is like, uh, is, is a very important, emotional safety also is a very important uh, term, I think, in that regard uh, that we that we want to accomplish. And, and, and then, of course, there should be, you know, um, you know, equal pay for uh, wherever you come from the, uh, the background genders and all they shouldn't play a role in that um, and I think we 
have a way to go until we get there <laughs> and and it can only work uh, until uh, as long as people are committed to uh, to change and uh, sometimes they probably have to knock on the doors of their senior leaders in the company and say hey listen there's something going on that uh, i think we should talk about you know and then that's very important from my point of view yes and i think the new generation who is coming it's much more aware that we are i mean we are the old yeah. ones uh, coming up now and they will help to change things so it's a long process, but because we are also, we have more experience and maybe you have more power in your company, uh, then we should be also the one that um, really show this respect and show this, uh, as I said, this questioning of everything, yeah. actually. I think leading by example is very important and, um, you know, be, be, be curious and, and demand change yourself. And uh, I think everybody has an opportunity to do that, um, be it in a, in, you know, his or her personal environment or, um, you know, in, on, on a bigger scale, but if everybody contributes to that, I think then there's hope that this will at some point be much better than it is right now. Do, do you think that, um, the, the COVID situation has an impact on, um, people moving on to other companies if they are not happy with the environment there? Does, do you think it uh, naturally you would think it might make it easier for them because they can potentially work remotely and there's more there's more fluctuation somehow they they're less loyal to companies that don't don't take care of these topics would you agree that that's the case uh, yes it's an interesting point um, I, I think it's easier to change now you're right uh, i know a lot of people that uh, especially when you see germany and you always have to move to one uh, another city in france you have paris and that's all so it's yeah. easy what you do for a job but in germany if you have family you don't always want to move somewhere but now with the home office being the kind of normal i think it's going to be easier for people to to change jobs and honestly i hope they will <laughs> <laughs> I, I would agree. I mean, it's definitely a situation where it's, uh, you know, where it's easier than it has ever been. And a lot of companies are realizing that they have to do something to not only attract employees um, and build great teams, but also retain them. Uh, I think retention of, uh, of, of loyal people on your team uh, and, and to the creation of this diversity is very, very important uh, these days. And I can only hope that companies, big or small, are focusing on this and, uh, and it builds structures that, that really get people excited. Yes, definitely. So, Odil, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, a, a great uh, session, an overview of, uh, you know, what you do at Spielfabrik, what you do at uh, Cologne Game Lab, uh, and a little bit <laughs> coverage on the diversity topic, which is something, you know, on its own we could talk about for, for a long time. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I hope our listeners out there uh, enjoy it as well. Uh, it's uh, always interesting to uh, talk about these topics. If you guys want to learn more uh, about um, the publishing challenge for independent game developers, uh, check out Odil's book. Uh, I think it's available every everywhere you get books <laughs> so um and also i can recommend that you um consider the uh, clash of realities um conference in november you said it's the november 8th and 9th right 18 and 19, oh, 18 and 19, november. 18, 19 yes. november yeah, yeah. Uh, and especially uh, the summit on entrepreneurship in games again thank you so much uh, i really enjoyed this thank you very much Lars, for the nice discussion and hope to see you online or somewhere else soon or sometime you know in person maybe when yes. this is possible again thank you very much bye thank you for listening to a devcom podcast produced by sven fossing executive producer stefan reichart music by weloveindies.com supported by buyer dynamic High-quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers. Made in Germany.